Okay, it's episode uh, 17, everybody. Uh, episode 17 of Chapo Trap House, uh, coming to you a little bit later in the week than you're used to. But that is because uh, we had to uh, get our special guest on for this week's show. Uh, we're joined by, let's just jump right into it, we're joined by Robbie Suave of Reason Magazine and The Daily Beast. Robbie, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Cool to talk to you guys. Yeah, it's me, Will Meneker, and you're also on with Felix Biederman. Hello. And Matt Chrisman. Sup? So, uh, yeah, again, thanks for coming on. Um, I want to thank you especially for coming on because so far on uh, the run of this show, all of our guests have been um, sycophants or uh, members of uh, Chapo Sea Org. Uh, these, <laughs> these are people who don't dare disagree with us or even look us in the eye for fear of swift retribution. So, again, uh, thanks for coming on and helping us take the show in this bold new direction. That's a, yeah, that's... Well, but how do you know I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably just like a secret leftist plant at the organizations I work for. Um, and I'm going to keep up that charade for this uh, for this interview anyway. Oh, you know, it's <laughs> like what uh, Ocelot says in Phantom Pain. He goes, uh, yeah, she could be a spy, but maybe I'm a spy or maybe you're a spy. Or what Arnold says in Total Recall when he goes, if you're you and I'm me, then who the hell am I? Get ready for the big surprise. You are not you. You're me. No shit. And it really gets to the root of the problem. <laughs> One of the great uh, existentialist wheels. texts of our time. But, um, Robbie, uh, welcome to the uh, the Bernie Bro Therapy Hour. This is what we do on the show. I know you've listened before, but uh, basically this is a safe space for alpha male brochalists to uh, yell our feelings about um, having our beautiful Bernie be cheated out of My the presidency. Boy! My beautiful boy! <laughs> Be cheated out of the presidency by by a goddamn woman. How could they do that to him? I have been called an honorary Bernie bro of the libertarian movement. Just just so you know. How were how, how how is that possible? How are you an honorary Bernie bro of the libertarian movement? I I have written that there is a that there was a libertarian case for Bernie, especially as opposed to all other candidates of either party or political persuasion. Uh, on the kind of the basis of his foreign policy being less muscular than virtually everyone else, right? But uh, I saw recently you've uh, you've hopped aboard the uh, the Gary Johnson train. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, now that we have our actual like libertarian guy, uh, yeah. I'm a. I mean, I'm not a fan of his his terrible <laughs> lack of charisma when he's presenting his ideas. Uh, but I like the guy. Whoa! Did you not see the town hall on CNN? That was electric shit. Him and Bill Weld. Looking like a couple of your uncles getting drunk on the porch. It was riveting. Drunk or high or whatever else. And my expectations for this thing were so low. Like, they were, you would not believe how low they are. And he still did not even come close to meeting them. So I was bummed. But Robbie, uh, actually, I mean, the reason uh, we uh, invited you on the show is because um, a couple weeks back, uh, you wrote an article uh, for at the Reason blog that uh, cited the show that was sort of based on something that was actually uh, something I said on the show. And this was about um, uh, the Peter Thiel Gawker case. And the headline of the piece was, if a left-wing Peter Thiel sued a right-wing Gawker, liberals would cheer. They said so. And I was the person saying so. Um, so that's I, I guess I'd like to begin by uh, bringing this up. You write in the piece... Um, if a left-wing p- version of Peter Thiel was using his billions to fund lawsuits against the right-wing news organizations, some liberals wouldn't utter a word of criticism. Worse than that, they would cheer this development. They're even admitting it. And uh, that's when you get into uh, what I said. And I saw it was I was responding to a tweet uh, you did saying stating just that. And I took it to heart, and I decided to admit rather than uh, you know play along and you know. Uh, devote myself to the principle of uh, freedom of the press and that billionaires shouldn't use lawsuits to tinker with uh, freedom of speech or journalistic outfits they dislike, uh, I decided to keep it 100 and just say flat out that I basically wouldn't care if someone bankrupted the Weekly Standard or National Review. And uh, I will note that my co-host basically disagreed with me. And... um, I guess what I want to ask is, I admitted as I was saying it that I'm being hypocritical, 
So I have no complaints to the anything that you presented in the article, but I guess I just want to ask you why why does this hypocrisy on my part matter in your opinion? Because it seems like a small one to me. I I mean I guess it it I mean it doesn't matter in the sense that it's a, your opinion and you're entitled to it, and I think it's a fine opinion, and I applauded your consistency. But I was more so I was more talking to my people who read me, people who I interact with on Twitter, who you know care about free speech and are are care about it regardless of which side it's affecting more i thought this was an interesting example of i mean i you know left uh uh kind of important the importance of free speech to the left and and all that and this was an example where i mean i've criticized the aclu for some kind of things where well i think this is a civil liberty you should be protecting and they're not really doing it so i like to point out things like that i guess uh i mean the your opinion I, like i get what you're saying and that's fine that you know organizations that don't represent your views and that you think are doing bad things and i have plenty of criticisms of national review and the weekly standard my own should be you know it would be kind of better if they just didn't exist i just don't i'm i'm I guess I'm worried about, uh, I mean, I'm worried about what happened to Gawker, too, even though I don't like them very much. So I'm worried about living in that world. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm a libertarian. I like to be principled and consistent about it. Does that, does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. And I guess um, if there was um, any point of a, a disagreement, really, in the article you wrote, it comes <clears throat> in a sentence where you say, um, after you quote me, you said, it's refreshing to receive honesty, such honesty, I suppose. And uh, the the sentence I, I would take issue with is when you said, libertarians don't believe the legal system should be set up so that rich people can use it to censor speech that they dislike. And is that true? Because to me, it doesn't seem like uh, libertarian politics I would be be opposed to a legal system in, where rich, rich, in which rich people could censor speech they don't like. I think, well, I think some... It depends how you're defining libertarians. I, I, I mean, some people you might define as libertarians probably would be okay with that, including like Peter Thiel, who at some point in some way kind of described himself as a libertarian. Um, I don't really think he is a libertarian. I mean, he's a Trump backer now, and Trump is not a libertarian. So, uh, but yeah, I, I was, I was kind of, I guess I was talking about myself and like the people that. I'm letting in the Libertarian Club, as narrowly defined as that is. Okay, oh, well, then... I see it's our old friend, No True Scotsman. Hello. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, well, to that end, I mean, how do you define uh, a Libertarian? Who, who are you letting in the club? I, I'm not a dogmatic sort of, you have, you know, you have to agree that all aggression is wrong. I I'm, I'm just think government should be limited in most ways and better smaller in most ways than we have it now is is how i define libertarianism no sort of philosophical it has you have to accept this or think this it's just kind of thinking that the world is usually better off uh if we have less government coercion in our lives private well, coercion is 100 though trill is af yeah um, i mean well, well i mean often they use the government to bring about that coercion i'm i mean then what peter Thiel's doing is like a good example of that or abusing the quasi-governmental legal system or whatever you want to call it but you know it, like it in a libertarian politics in which there is the, the scope of the government is reduced or we have less government there's less government regulation and oversight of things doesn't that sort of naturally into that vacuum is filled by private actors who would see their reach and scope of power increase in the absence of a strong federal government so Maybe, when but i don't really know if that is true i mean certainly it'll be true some of the time but i mean i'd see lots of cases where re the existence of regulation just makes it possible and easier for very powerful private interests to kind of steer that regulation in favorable ways to them so having much more regulation and much more oversight yeah, i mean it's still being handled by people who are in the pockets of powerful, wealthy interests, private interests. So, I, I mean, it's that's a problem too, I guess. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're talking like very broad philosophical libertarian versus non-libertarian sort. Of, I mean, this is not like a specific thing, but I mean, I guess like not broadly or abstractly. I mean, I think I think practically speaking, I think where you know. Uh, my problem with uh, the libertarian worldview is that, I mean, aside from the fact that I think it's kind of a niche brand of just the right wing worldview, which I uh, dislike for a lot of reasons, but it's this idea that uh, it is, in its 
sort of monomaniacal focus on government coercion, it seems to purposely occlude every kind of private coercion that, that takes place in a free marketplace, like, you know, uh, the relationship between an employer and an employee or, um, con or contractual relationships, for instance, which involve all sorts of coercion, and I would argue meaningful abridgments of freedom of speech and even the press as well. When you're probably one of those people who thinks that the very existence of property is kind of like a, like a issue that is, is coercion to some people, right? The pure sort of. Uh, I mean, not not a hundred percent. I mean, I'm like, I mean, that's more like the. I mean, Matt Brunig can make that argument. I, I can see where the argument's coming from, but I'm not like a, a purist on that regard. But yeah, like everything, I think the point is everything involves a little bit of coercion, but it's just a question of what you regard as just or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's correct. I But I but I think, so the government sphere of coercion is the one that I'm kind of like more directly responsible for, I guess, because we are in a democratic society where the government is what we all do together uh, because we have to, and it's kind of a different to me category of coercion than private coercion which can also be a problem and often i think because of how they use the government for it. but i guess that's why that's where the focus is like this is the entity that is supposed to be that that i'm actually forced to pay for to you know take care of my defense and my other needs and so on and so forth so if it's doing if it's violating people's rights and it's doing bad things and it's leading to a less harmonious society i'm that's kind of the entity where where my focus has to be it's the one i'm responsible for it's the one but what's what's the distinction though i mean isn't none of this private accumulated wealth uh or property that we're talking about could exist in the absence of government and if even if you reduce the sphere of government you know you no libertarian that i know of calls for the government sphere to be reduced to the size that it no longer exists to maintain those relationships. Well, I don't really, well, I, I'm not saying the government should not exist. I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm just saying that I think most things it should be less involved in because that would be better. Is sort of my very, <laughs> very broad kind of claim here. Okay, well, what, what's, what's, what's probably like the most important area of which the government you think would have a, a more positive effect on our society if the government were less involved in the education system the uh the kind of drug regulations um the i think even infrastructure i think policing it could be less involved i'm talking about like the federal government so like are you saying that those things should be taken over by the private sector or they're better handled by local or state government yeah, I'm thinking. I'm saying the more centralized uh, federal government should be less involved in those things, and they would be better. I think the education system well, would clearly be better if administered by private. I mean, we kind of have proven that over and over again that government-managed education is a horrid failure. How so? You mean like the public school system in America has been a horrid failure? Yeah, it has no shortage of financial resources, and it has bad incomes. Yeah, because we have massive fucking poverty in this country that neg that vastly negatively affects uh, the ability to to learn. That's been pretty well documented, too. I mean, we have sort of an unprecedented in the first world uh, level of poverty, and that that is the degree to which the degree to which the private uh, public schools are a failure is the degree to which we're dealing with a massive degree of poverty that because public schools can't uh, choose their pupils the way that that uh, charters or whatever can do is ends up absorbing the mass the, the vast number of people who are failed by not the, the public education system but by the fact that they live in incredibly destabilizing uh, poverty that absolutely hinders their ability to learn I mean I don't disagree with that I mean, yeah poverty is a yes that's a horrible problem that is definitely keeping public schools from being successful but i think it's also that they're run by uh you know bureaucrats that aren't that are divorced from any like incentive to do better and they're being micromanaged by the federal government and their curriculum is all fucked up now and it's a disaster on i agree entirely that the the, the curriculum is all fucked up but i mean i, I don't know if i 
if we'd agree on like the of the source of why the curriculum is so fucked up because to me it seems like it's just all this like test taking shit i mean i guess that's a part of common core right like these testing standards yeah i mean common core yeah common core is really bad well and it's it's forced so it's changed a lot of schools what they were doing and now like you were learning algebra say in seventh grade well now you're going to learn it in ninth grade instead but we gave you the wrong textbooks because we didn't understand that's what ha what was happening and then the standardized test is wrong and it's you know giving the algebra exam to the eighth graders it's just this total sort of debacle and the crick and the common core mandated curriculum is like kind of it's very dry it's very boring it's very like I don't know. It, I think it'll seem like a stupid idea, even the kind of learning philosophy of it, ten years or twenty years from now. No, it seems uh, it seems uh, appalling to me. But um, the, I don't like the high stakes uh, testing at all. Good, good. This is this is this is squashing beef. This is what we do on podcasts. If there's beef to be had, we're going to squash it on a podcast. That's that's why that's why we do this show. Um, I think that um, just just give eighth graders uh, the book Dune by Frank Herbert and have them spend like a semester just reading that and to the exclusion of anything else. I, I read not only Dune but its many sequels uh, when I was. I right. stalled out in uh, the middle of Children of Dune. Yeah, did you, Robin, did you read Robin? Did you read Children of Dune? You missed the best one. God Emperor is, uh, is my favorite. Oh man, that's whatever. That's that's what the that's what the GF keeps telling me, Robbie. I I mean I don't have a um, real friend. I'm but back poly. to the I mean I guess like back to the, my this this broader sort of bird's eye view of uh, this sort of left and libertarian debate and you were speaking earlier about how and why you think a lot of these issues are better handled at kind of a smaller level and I, I hear this a lot that you know that the federal government is so big and unwieldy that you know things like you know justice education etc cetera, etc cetera, are better handled on a local level and I gotta That's say I'm always government, though I'm it's always very this bullshit Oh, it's a local level. Guess what? That's still fucking government. And state governments are comically corrupt and incompetent. Yeah, that's the idea exactly that they have some sort of uh, some sort of uh, superiority over a federal government is just it's kitsch. It's bullshit. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I mean, they're far, fetishizing, far more. It's, it's uh, fetishizing Mayberry. That's nothing to do with reality. Yeah, I mean, Robbie, I'm I'm from Illinois. Uh, you could fire probably fucking all of our legislator or state legislators out of a cannon and nothing would happen because <laughs> two dumb fucks, a family of dumb fucks, Michael Madigan and his daughter Lisa have been running like most of the entire state into the ground for the last twenty years. Like they're it's it's a fucking step backwards there, these retarded fiefdoms. More places more state governments are like this than not. And and this is my point. I I think uh, perhaps not you, Robbie, but I, I guess like why I'm always skeptical of this line from libertarians is I feel like they want to get these things managed and done at a smaller and smaller levels of government because they're much easier to uh, subvert and control. You know, like if you make these smaller and smaller fiefdoms, then power naturally accrues to the people who are already most wealthy and powerful within those communities or fiefdoms, right? Yeah, that's – I think that's not always necessarily going to be a bad thing. I mean if you think that – I mean the people involved at the more local level – again, this is like a very broad discussion, and I like to focus on specific areas where I think the government is, is screwing it up. But I, but you're going to have – if you're governing at like the – at the, a smaller level, the people involved in – you know, controlling or influencing this process are more invested in the outcome or they even and they know more about how it should be. Yeah, they're invested in the outcome vis-a-vis -vis their own stake in it, not necessarily any kind of public good. Yeah, well, okay, so but my, here's my example. So the Obama administration is giving, like, all this guidance to schools now relating to Title IX to handle the, uh, that's the gender, sexual, sex equality statute in the higher education law. In the education law, more broadly, and this deals with colleges, right? Trans, it was no, it's colleges and K through 12. So the same law mandating kind of all these sexual assault hearings in college is also doing kind of the trans student locker room sort of thing happening in in K through 12. It's all this one sentence statute that very clearly has nothing to do with any of these issues. It just says there has to be sex equality in the funding of education. Um, so it's so now all these schools are going to be trying to like adapt to this sort of kind of like 
sizable social change that I, that I support. Like, I want them to accommodate trans students, but I want, like, these schools to kind of be able to figure out, out on their own, and there might be some exceptions, and there might be, well, this is how we're going to handle it, and it'll actually be better, but they're just going to be falling over themselves to comply because they feel threatened by the federal government. So you mean that, so you're saying that, like, uh, some of the school, uh, uh, some school boards and er in areas of the country where, you know, the curriculum mandates discussing the nature of Noah's Ark and shit like that are going to be in charge of handling a transition to a trans-inclusive uh, public school system? Well, then you ought, to have, you ought to have a federal, like an actual federal law that reaffirms people's uh, basic rights to, under the Constitution to, like, equal services and, and all of that. Isn't that what it's from, though? It's Title yeah, IX. Well, yeah, isn't that what you just described, though? But Title IX actually has nothing to do with gender expression, so it's, so, like, this law, they're going to sue over it and probably win because it's clear that this law actually isn't intended to do that at all. So what is it intended to do? It's intended to make sure that if you have, like, a female sports team, they're getting as much funding as they deserve uh, compared to a, a male sports team. But... Now it's also what it's it's been revised to include these national standards for how. No, but he's saying that we should have an, another law. We need another law. That's what he's saying. Okay, but that would still be a federal law. Hey. Hey, I'm not saying federal. Like, I, I'm not saying that federal is always wrong. I I of course want the federal government to vigorously protect people if they're violating students' First Amendment rights. So okay, so you're saying that the and and you're saying that instead of having a sympathetic Justice Department interpret this thing in a way that uh, that deals with the changing terrain of sexuality in, co in schools. We should leave it to the fucking Bang Hill people mutants of the House of Representatives to pass a law before these people, these kids in these schools can feel like they actually can go there and feel like they have the rights protected. So what are you saying? We should just we should just not have a Congress make laws. We should just there should just be like. I'm saying that there is a law on the fucking books that's being interpreted, and it's it, the idea that this is some sort of uh, some sort of egregious overreach, and it's uh, that that's absurd to me. And but they're also they're telling they're telling schools that they can't that they have to suspend and expel fewer people. They're suspending and expelling too many people. Which I think is probably right in a lot of schools, but in some of these schools, they can't even they can't even keep order in the classrooms. They, the kids are are acting crazy. They're like beating up their teachers, and the federal government is telling them, "You have to. We're going to sue you to death if you don't suspend fewer people." Maybe that's right in some cases. I I have a hard time believing. There's a lot of schools where that's going to like even make the educational outcomes for the students even worse. Have you heard of well, a little place called uh, Rock and Roll High School? Poverty is making it impossible for public schools to function and. Okay, congratulations, you have more local control and you can suspend more kids. Does that do anything to address the underlying issue that why these kids are acting out? No, it doesn't. The idea that it's going to make it some sort of educational fucking Valhalla, that's another goddamn fantasy. Yeah, but there are kids there who, who do want to learn, who are getting screwed over because the schools are terrible and there's no order in them and they can't get the benefits of their education. I... Yeah, the, but the benefits of their education... The thing that could be done to make their education actually worthwhile, the most immediate thing, would be to alleviate deep poverty in these, in these areas. And you know what you need to do, you know what you need to do to get that, is you need federal fucking action. That's the only thing that's going to make that happen. Federal so action to alleviate Yes. I mean, I don't know anybody else's fucking, any other mechanism that we have that can actually redistribute in a way that can alleviate poverty. She well, now now we get to now we get to the nub of uh, the real I think the real disagreement uh, between libertarians and the left is that um, we we are like to administer a program of real you know economic and yes even social justice in my opinion would require um, a program of uh, redistribution of of wealth um, more broadly than it is now because to, all of this awesome civic freedom that libertarians claim that they want for everybody is not equally accessible to those who don't have the material ability to enjoy it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not reflexively opposed to uh, poverty alleviation program, to welfare programs, to some means of redistribution. Uh, if I mean, depending what they are, I kind of like the, uh, and many libertarians I know like the, uh, the guaranteed basic income thing. Um, 
Right, yeah, but we get we get a guaranteed income and then we get rid of everything else. Yeah, I would like the guaranteed basic income, income in addition to a very robust welfare state and things like, you know, K through, you know, uh, free university education, healthcare, things like that. I mean, all the care- college kids I know are using food stamps to buy alcohol, and these are like wealthy college students. So I, I good for I them. Mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, who but cares? Like, that, that's yeah. But who Robbie, cares? That's, that's such anecdotal bullshit. Like I can tell you that you know that almost everyone I know who works in some management capacity in every company is a fucking idiot and should be liquidated and replaced <laughs> by government officers. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything <laughs> from a policy standpoint. Yeah, no, I mean, like... I, I, I mean, and, like, what, what what type of people do you know? Like, you know people going to Georgetown. Like, you know, I'm sorry, like, they're probably a bunch of shitheads. <laughs> I just, this was at the University of Michigan. Almost everyone I knew was abusing Michigan's uh, bridge card program. Was... <laughs> everyone you knew at That's the University Midwest, of Michigan baby. was... <laughs> Was um was was using like the what the Michigan State SNAP program to get beer? Yeah. God damn it! <laughs> that, that, that's so why. That's why. That's not good for them because then they reformed it and they got rid of it, and now like actual poor people don't get it because the fucking rich privileged kids uh, made it look like a joke. So, not good. The problem, them. like the, the reason they did away with it, is because people hate the idea that their tax money is being spent on food stamps to begin with and if they can use an example of some rich prick uh, abusing it to buy beer or whatever then it's all the easier for them to take it away from the people who need it but I mean it's, it's not like the people who need it uh, like what they're being given is this like ridiculous pittance to begin with it's not I mean it's not really helping them it's just sort of like a kind of allowing them to live in poverty just a little bit longer than they actually are and I think that's the problem with our welfare and food stamp programs in this country is that they're far, uh, they're not nearly generous enough. I, I would favor some, some of these. Th- I mean, I would have to evaluate them on an individual, but I'm not reflexively against these things. And a lot of libertarians I know aren't. It's more that we think government management of things like this and other things is often really screws up. <laughs> what Reason magazine are okay, you writing okay, for? Okay, okay, but like, I mean, do you like do you think that the government? Like, probably shouldn't be involved with arms procurement because the F-35 is just a bloated fucking $1.35 trillion waste of shit. And all of Northern Virginia is just filled with people stuffing themselves off of government coffers. Like, I don't see this applied to anywhere else. I do think that. I absolutely think that. Yeah, we're... But like, how how come how come libertarians how come libertarians they seem more anxious to just beat up on food stamp recipients than they do defense contractors? I mean, that's probably you probably spend a lot of time picking on those kinds of libertarians who make like those terrible arguments and seem completely unsympathetic to real people. Just like I, you know, go for the socialist people who say who say easy to criticize things. I mean, it like there are like a lot me. of libertarians <laughs> like that. But, you know, there's uh, – my colleagues at Reason, I, I would say, are, are – we're, like, very focused on other issues, uh, I think, and we've written – I will I will say that uh, – okay, I saw – I saw Nick – Like, free speech violations. Speaking of which, I saw Nick Gillespie uh, on an airplane, and he was wearing a black shirt, black jeans, black shoes, black sunglasses. He had a black iPhone case and a black uh, bag. Does he ever not do that? No, uh, funny enough, even though he believes choice is like the more choices is the greatest liberating force uh, for... By the way, that's insanely stupid and wrong, but never mind, continue. <laughs> uh, he has decided, he chose to never make a choice again about what he wears, and he just wears black. He's like Einstein. Or he saw Jeff Goldblum in The Fly make that reference to Einstein, and he was like, ah. <laughs> or no, he, he's like Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn in his videos from 2008 to 2011 only wore his agony shorts. No shirt. <laughs> People in poverty get basically no choices. Their lives are determined by their poverty. Well, shouldn't they want there's more? There's no choices well, more involved. Choices would be good for them. You're saying yeah, but there's no there's no private sector mechanism that's going to make that possible. 
There's only the collective action of, of people who are who are moving in the face of a market force that gives you a value based on your supposed and totally fictional and arbitrary and largely loaded idea of your value. No, that's not true at all. And so, like, 500 years ago, you would just live and die in the same village you were born in with, like, very little say over your life. Now more people have more choices and largely because of uh, private... Action. No, no, yes, no, yes. no, come on. None of those things happen in the absence of a fucking government. They're all in a, they're, it's an inextricable link. I get to link. choose what color my iPhone is. You can't act like, <laughs> yeah, and like this fucking technology in your iPhone was largely. That's not a choice. And the technology, first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a fucking meaningless, sad choice. Secondly, <laughs> half the fucking technology in that goddamn iPhone was created by shit from fucking government, uh, research. And beyond that, uh, the, the, the idea that there's some sort of bright line between these two things is absurd. These markets are created by the fucking government in the first place. The government is what guarantees the ability of people to do all their goddamn trading. It is, it's, it's, a, it's fucking baked into it. It's baked into it. We get into, which I called uh, earlier, right? That's what you're saying, that guarantee, the government guarantees that we can own. It does. Yeah, it does. Well, I, I mean, that's, but that's been good, I think. Well, it's, yeah, but what it means is that the, that, that, that the distinctions you're making are fundamentally arbitrary. They're arbitrary based on whether, like, it's better or not for the government to be more involved in these specific ways on, in these specific areas. Yeah, but that's just it. You're, you're moving from, like, a specific thing of, oh, the, uh, the Department of Ballsacks uh, used $100,000 to research people's uh, nut hair color or whatever the hell stupid thing that they always do. But that's different than the broader question of, of to what these things, what sphere these things belong to. And it just seems to me that it's one big ball. It's one big ball of, 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 of economic action that's all of which is undergirded by a government and all of which is supposedly and hypothetically uh, at the will of, of the polity, but which we have created a, an artificial line between private and public so that we can enrich the private at the expense of everybody else. Got him. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. But that, that sort of cooperation between the private and the public is like the exact same is the exact thing I'm criticizing, because that is how the. But it's inevitable. If you had your minarchist state, the state still exists. But in this case, there's just less input from the fucking proles. And it's like I a board of directors. State. I just want I want a more restrained foreign policy. I want uh, no drug war. I want a reformed criminal justice system. I want a less federally involved education system. I just I just want I'm just a normal person with normal normal interests, desire. I like I, I don't want to live in Somalia or whatever. I, no, I didn't say I'm not going to. No, do no, that. no. Let, let's let's get away from the uh, the the Somalia argument. But um, actually, you know, to this point. And, and this is one thing um, on the episode in which I said, um, I hope the National Review and Weekly Standard get uh, run over by a, a rich man's Ferrari or I don't know, something like that. Um, it's going to be on... ablisted. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I, we went on to discuss, uh, you know, in the context of this Peter Thiel Gawker case, this weird thing about how Peter Thiel is announced that he's going in September to this conference in uh, Turkey um, called it's it's the uh, what is it um, the Property and Freedom Society, which is founded by this guy Hans Hermann Hoppe. Um, and I'm just wondering now. You've already said that you don't think Peter Thiel is a libertarian. He supports Trump, but this guy Hans Hermann Hoppe, uh, he considers himself a libertarian and has been you know he's on the a fellow at the Ludwig von Mises Institute. He's a high level academic in this libertarian world. And I'm just wondering if you're familiar with him. And if so, what's your take on the Hans Hermann Hoppe side of libertarianism? I mean, I, I'm not especially familiar with him. I'm, I, I know what his side is, the, yeah, the, the Mises people. I mean, there is kind of a, well, this is like libertarian insider baseball, but there's a kind of split between sort of the Cato reason libertarian squad and the Ludwig von Mises society libertarian people, and they kind of like absolutely loathe each other. So. How did, well, we're, we're like, what is, how does that split break down? Like, what, what's, because if we, my suspicion is if we had on someone from the Ludwig von Mises Institute, at all of the points in which you said, I basically agree with you, they would vehemently contest. 
Yeah, they're um, they're more. I mean, they're more focused on, I guess, outreach to a specific kind of conservative. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nazis? Do you mean Nazis? Because yes. that's who's yeah. come yeah. to this conference. Well, there's no accident that these guys like love Donald Trump, and uh, I mean, they're very, they're very anti-war. They're like militantly anti-foreign intervention. That that's the criticism they would make of like my side of libertarianism. Well, yeah, they're <laughs> they're anti-war in so much as they think that that like the war should be waged you know, at home, basically. They don't want troops in Iraq because they want it, you know, in the cities of America, you know, purging the undesirables. Isn't, isn't that great? Isn't that great when you're talking to somebody and you agree with them for the first two points? But like, we need to get out of NATO. Yeah, we have so many military bases. Yeah, we're, we're wasting rounds that could be spent on the inner city knockout game thug. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. Yeah, so I, I'm not a big fan of any of these thinkers i mean i think they're they're kind of well, okay but so i mean they would argue that they're that they're taking the notion the, the notion of of sort of the supremacy of private property to its logical conclusion so where why do you say okay that's not the logical conclusion well because i don't really care about philosophical battles over what is property and what is for these kind of abstract things that don't really matter for actual policy <laughs> Thank God for that, because that those conversations are fucking unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got one question then about the Gawker thing then. Going back to the original point of all of this. And that is, if you've got an ideal media environment, which would obviously be a private one, right, where media enterprises are all privately held, presumably by people of means, that's why they're able to hold them, would they not then be able to exercise censorship on ideas at their own uh, whim? Well, they can exercise and always do, I mean, censorship in their own. So, I mean, you wouldn't have on a neo-Nazi probably. Well, maybe you would. I don't know. There's probably someone you wouldn't. Uh, one, 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 of them, one of them hosts the show, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you would you wouldn't have on uh, you wouldn't have on Chelsea Clinton or something. I don't know. Hell yeah, we would. Hell yeah, bitch. Yeah, she a dime. I wouldn't have her. I wouldn't have her scrub ass husband on the show. <laughs> no. Fuck him. Um, but my point is, what 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 are you saying? Of course, we exercise some kind of censorship. I'm saying that a private. I, I'm saying that a, a a libertarian media environment would have the same issues as the one we have now, where Thiel, Thiel is able to use the courts to sort of snuff out a, a, a thing he didn't like, but what if he just bought Gawker? What's the difference? What's the practical difference? If he just bought Gawker and, and turned it into, you know, a thing about just a... a, a about trains. A vanity and, and <laughs> a vanity aggregator of stories about ways to, like, preserve your head in a fucking jar of formaldehyde forever. Did spin, did spin his Nowy website about my contributes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never actually heard him talk, so he sounds... Mad. I mean, yeah, he could do that. That would be terrible, but, I mean, he could do that, and it would not be... I, I, what my concern is that there would be a legal environment where you could be punished for saying things you should be able to say if he's just going to do his own thing and punish people. I mean, that's not... That's not... Threat doesn't threaten the entire world of journalism the same way i mean i think what he but if every journalistic enterprise is owned by the same group of people with the similar agendas doesn't that pose a threat i mean yeah the journalism world is is very non-ideal but i mean there are more there but are like there but now no but hold on a second there 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 was a time in the recent past in which there were government regulations that um, enforce things like monopoly laws, especially when it came to media. But certainly in our lifetimes, over the last you know 30, 40 years or so, it's been steadily deregulated. And now there's about seven companies that control almost every single uh, piece of media that you come across of a day. Well, at the same time, I have more options for ways to consume news and I have more choices I have more there are highly specialized websites now that I can I can get I have different options just for getting my video game news uh, than I you know would have had I think that I think the crux of our disagreement here is that I regard those choices as largely specious and I enjoy them 
I, I, I enjoy the internet, I enjoy getting, you know, video game news from a variety of different sources, but if it's basically all coming, once you, you know, filter to the top of it, it's all coming from the same funnel, the same five or six funnels controlled by the incredibly wealthy with their own agenda, I don't think it's a really meaningful choice or a meaningful distinction. And if, for and instance, we should use games. the power, and that we should use the power of the state to break up these monopolies. You think we should use the power Absolutely. of the state to break up these monopolies? Yeah. But like, yeah, but don't you think that would just fail horribly? I mean, that would create some that could that could create something a lot. You want Donald Trump, President Trump, with the power to break up media companies he doesn't like? I can tell you how that would go. We'd have we'd have we'd have one fucking media outlet to read. It would be Breitbart, and you would watch Fox <laughs> News and read Breitbart all day if we gave the government that power. I mean, yeah, I mean, but like, like, pause a little bit. Okay, but, but does, it, does crazy it give crazy people running our government? Does it give you pause that we also have crazy people running the media through conglomerates? I mean, what's the fucking difference? It's like it goes back to the same thing. Like, I can say the exact same thing to you. Do you do you really want Rupert Murdoch to be making all these decisions for all these entities? Well, no, but it's different. I can just not watch uh, Fox News. I mean, that would be different than having him be president and then but like, like, being illegal to not watch Fox News. Do you really? Do you, but, but hold on. I, I, do, you, do you really? Do you really? Do you really think that like Rupert Murdoch's influence over like your life or anyone else's life begins and ends with you choosing not to watch Fox Fox News? What do you mean? Like, you don't really think that. You don't really think that like the fucking influence of. A multi-billionaire media mogul who is losing his mind because of Australian genetic weakness and blood. That his influence sort of begins and ends with your choice not to consume one of his products. I mean, it also, his influence also, he has tremendous influence over, like, the policy-making government sphere of things, which I'm also worried about, but what other, what other areas of my... But he also, he also has a huge influence on the... On the on the views of your fellow citizens, yeah, who are making these choices. Well, if they didn't have the power to like run my life, then it wouldn't really matter as much. But they, oh, somebody, he's going to do it then. But hold on, I I, I want to get back to this idea about um, uh, trust busting or breaking up uh, media conglomerates, and 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 I said I, I would think the power. I think this is a an example in which more state action and regulation is required. And I want to take issue with what you said that, you know, if President Trump were to have that power, we all we'd be left with is Breitbart. But I, I disagree. I mean, what I'm saying in terms of breaking up monopoly, it would just sever the control of all these media companies from just one or two people and limit the number of uh, media companies that like one group of people can own. So I don't think it would end up with just Breitbart. I think it would just create an actual I think it would just break up the number of media companies I don't think it would limit them to just one if the government said you can't own this amount of uh, sort of vertically integrated or just that pervasive level of media in one market I think just the opposite I think just the opposite would happen from what you said about only having Breitbart or Trump uh, approved news sources be available I mean I think that's like the most insanely optimistic case for what would happen if the exact perfect uh, uh, demonopolizing sort of government action that was designed by you, if you had all the power and you did it and it, it went exactly according to your plan, yeah, maybe it would be great. But we don't live, I mean, we live in the world where the people running the government are insane and they're going to just like retaliate retaliate against people they don't like because they're the, the, the people running capital are insane too though, but right? I, I guess i'm more i feel so so okay so, so horrible decisions okay so why why though because the people who are running the government that are insane are at least technically as you said to begin with you're more responsible for them because you vote you take part in, in this democracy why do you feel more safe from the insane people who run capital, which have even less accountability to you, aside just from these kind of arbitrary I consumer. Less, I mean, they have. They're accountable to profit and loss. The only the only way they're accountable to you is through these, like I said, I think largely illusory consumer choices that you make. Well, I, but I, I mean, I think those are more meaningful, and they actually are more accountable than like the government is to the voters. But really, have you ever tried to like talk to a private insurance company on the phone? Do you think Eric Prince is accountable for, like, the massacre in Sodder City? Or fucking, you get to a certain level, you are just not accountable. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true. That's a, that's a problem. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not saying these are perfect, like, every, all heads of business are, like, 
saintly, wonderful people, and we should trust them with all the authority or anything. But I, but like my concern is that they're going to use the government to make our lives more miserable. Like that's that's the most horrible thing they can do to us. I don't I, like, isn't it? I mean, they're making our they're making people everyone's lives are getting miserable for uh, uh, just like where this breaks down for me is that like okay, so when you remove more and more government oversight and power over the private sector nat like just naturally the private sector gains more power so i don't understand it's like if you have cancer like you know i don't know kill more of the body like i i i don't understand why again like this distinction between like private wealthy interests use the government to get their way so the answer is we should make the government less powerful uh, so that they would be less uh, they would have less ability to use the government against people for their own nefarious purposes. Uh, yeah, I mean that is exactly my argument. Or, or that we should, or that we should have le fewer things that the government gets to do and decide if we can, and then we wouldn't have that kind of mechanism taking place. I, I, and I, I do, like I do fear what Donald Trump would do in charge of the media environment. I fear what Hillary Clinton would do in charge of the media environment. She thinks people shouldn't be able to make documentaries that criticize her. And like a lot of the left agrees. I guess the point is like, I mean, historically speaking, it just seems to me like examples of when the rights of the people have been asserted over the few and the powerful. It has been the medium through which that is done has traditionally been a strong federal government in conjunction with popular mass movements that that's accomplished what what did you say that that's accomplished that to, that... to, to, to get that, that what is essentially accomplished to increase the level of kind of freedom and liberty in the average person's life uh, uh, that is definitely like civil rights movement I mean, I for example private people are doing that a lot too i mean it... <laughs> i don't know we've gone about 15 minutes do you think we should uh think we should maybe wrap it up yeah i'm good Bobby. I can't say that we've, you know, completely bridged this divide, but I, th I think we've squashed the beef, you know? I think we've squashed the beef, and that's well, and that's. I gotta, I gotta ask one question before we go, though. Okay, Matt. <laughs> how, does you, how does your readership know that I don't have a headboard? Oh, yeah. No, no, this is the last thing we have to bring up. Yeah, how do uh, those guys know that I fuck in his sleeping bag? I... <laughs> Robbie, I don't know if you saw this. Okay, I don't know if you saw this, but um, in the comment section. Okay, no, I did not see. So, it. Okay, you don't read the comments. You don't read the comments. Smart in the move. comment section to your original piece about us at the Reason blog, your commenter named Alcibiades. And again, this is a this is a pro tip to all the listeners out there. If you are going to comment on any kind of libertarian or right wing board, definitely mind the classics for your handle because you cannot fail. Commenter Alcibiades at the reason.com said in response uh, to your article where you quoted us and linked to the show, you, <laughs> he said, I've never heard of Will Menneker, Felix, Felix Biederman, and Matt Chrisman before, but sight unseen, I would hazard a guess that they all have beards and none of them have headboards. And I want to say, uh, owned, I have a headboard. I'm getting a headboard soon just so I can fuck it off. <laughs> I have never had a headboard, and I will never have a headboard. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, your, your one of your commenters was very uh, perceptive in that regard. Um, I, I don't, I don't uh, had had heard of your uh, your podcast before. You you have a, a one of your listeners is a very dear friend of mine from uh, from first grade, actually. Oh. Uh, who I'm I'm in touch with. Uh, shout out to Tori, who's probably going to be listening to this. Tori, uh, shout he out. Alerted me. He alerted. Salute. He let me know that you got. He said he did a double take when you said uh, my name. Oh, I, I I pronounced your name wrong though. This is a running joke on this show. I pronounce everyone's names wrong, but I do it on purpose. Will, how do you say my last name? Baderman. <laughs> okay. No, and uh, uh, uh again, uh, apologies to uh, Rokaya again. I'm so so sorry. I'll do better. First of all, what the fuck? Second of all, you're okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, Robbie Suave, thanks again for joining us. And thanks again to the eerily uh, prescient powers of your uh, commenters who had us dead to rights. Thanks, yeah, thanks yeah. for having me, guys. <laughs> thanks for coming on, Robbie. Cheers. Have a good one. It might have been Camelot for Jack and Jacqueline But on the Chai Guevara Highway filling up with gasoline 
Fidel Castro's brother's spies, a rich lady who's crying over the luxury's disappointment. So he walks over and he's trying to sympathize with her. But he thinks that he should warn her that the third world is just around the corner. Sales are organised and pamphlets have been posted Even after closing time there's still parties to be hosted You can be active when the activists are sleeping with the sleepers while you're waiting for the drive a leap forwards A one leap forwards, two leaps back Will politics get me the sack? Waiting for the drive a For the fox to throw in the town You're watching the right leap If no one out there understands Just start your own revolution And cut out the middle man right